Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows that defeat does not exist in this dojo. Here is the captain. Put him in the body bag, Johnny. Yeah! It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sweeping the leg. Today we are still sipping on this fine, fine imperial stout from Tactical called My Lorona. This is an imperial stout, 12% ABV with ancho peppers, chilies, sour oranges, and hibiscus. This was the bronze medal winner at the 2021 New York International Beer Competition. So you know it's good, garage grade. Four and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Here's some cheers to our good friends. First up, a cheers and a big Ron Swanson please and thank you to Mark in London, who says he is sending us some kudos for our stellar work on our John Bonet series. And a big shout out to Margaret in Lansing, Michigan. Next, here we go, Captain. This is a triple cheers to Elizabeth, Daniel, and Liz, all living in their own domiciles in the land of parts unknown. And a big we like your jib to Traeger and Taylor in northern Alaska. And a big we like your jib to Samantha in Cameron, California. Next, a long distance cheers to Fiona in Kildare, Ireland. And last but certainly not least, we have Dawn in San Diego who says we should produce a JonBenet TV documentary. How about that? Lots of praise for our coverage on John Bonet. Everyone we just mentioned, they helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, the only problem is we have faces for radio, but asses for the runway. So thank you so much for the BWRUN Beer Run Fund. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
When we left off yesterday, Captain, we asked the simple question, where's Jimmy? And we were leading up to a possible break in the case, hinting that there would be a break in this case. Now, the break would come nearly three months after his disappearance, and it would come at the suspicions of one woman, Suzanne Shinehouse. But she was not suspicious in regards to Jimmy Rice's case. No, she was suspicious for other reasons. And in fact, her involvement in this case actually started before Jimmy Rice even went missing. And this was in August and September of 1995, when Susan Shinehouse reported to the local police several times that items from her home, including a handgun and some jewelry, were missing from her residence. Per court records, the trailer is housed on a property that's owned by a one David Santana. So no relation to Susan Shinehouse. But what we have here, Captain, is there's a situation where Susan Shinehouse, she owns, she's pretty well-to-do and owns a horse ranch and a large amount of property. So she has people working for her on her properties. And some of the other people in this general area are sharing some of those workers working at their properties as well. She has this situation where some of her items are missing from her home. Again, these are items of value, a handgun and some jewelry. After filing multiple police reports and passing along suspicions to the authorities, they're kind of, their hands are tied. They cannot pursue any of the people that she's suspicious of. So she tells one of her friends about what's going on. Hey, there's some items missing from my home. This is what I think's happening, but I don't really have any proof. I can't get the police to act on it because, again, there's no evidence. I have no proof here in any of my suspicions. Her friend tells her, why don't you go talk to this psychic? Maybe she can direct you to your items. Maybe they're misplaced. Maybe somebody did take them. Who knows? So she decides to go to the psychic, and the psychic kind of confirms some of Suzanne's suspicions, saying you will find the items that you're looking for on a trailer located in this specific area. Now, the trailer that you're referring to, Captain, would later be referred to as either the Avocado Grove trailer or the Horse Farm trailer. What she does here is the man that lives in this trailer Matt Foley. and works as a handyman and a farmhand on her property, his name is Juan Carlos Chavez. She sends him out to do some errands, keep him busy for the day, and this is on December 5th, 1995. She takes her son with her, his name's Edward Shinehouse, and a locksmith. And they open up the trailer to go inside to see if they can find the items that are missing from Susan's home. There inside the trailer, in plain sight, they find the missing handgun. Now, this was a handgun that she had purchased in April of 1989. Again, she finds it in plain view on the counter in the kitchen opposite the trailer door. After finding the gun, her and her son continue to look inside the trailer looking for the missing jewelry. When they discovered inside of a closet area, a book bag, which was partially open. Looking inside the bag, Suzanne saw papers and books. The work appeared to be in a child's handwriting, and she noticed the name Jimmy Rice on some of the papers. 
She observed this name on one of the books as well. Now, this is going to send off major red flags for the Shine Houses. Yeah, because in the local community, everybody's asking, where is Jimmy? Where's Jimmy? That's the common phrase going around town and has been for almost three months now. So everybody knew the name Jimmy Rice. In fact, it was later said that that on that day, September 11, 1995, he went from being not just Dawn and Claudine's son, but the son of the whole community looking for this child, Jimmy Rice. So immediately, Mrs. Shinehouse notifies the FBI saying, hey, this is some stuff, some weird stuff that I just found in this dude's trailer who's working for me, this Juan Carlos Chavez. But also this book bag in, in general has been talked about, like you were saying, his mother was saying, well, look, he would throw down his his book bag and run. So you got this whole community going, where is Jimmy? And you find this book bag with all his school belongings. Yeah. I mean, just strange stuff. Not what she was anticipating, right? Even though she is suspicious of this man, she was looking to find other items in his trailer and did so in the course, but finding this item as well. She contacts the FBI, and so the FBI and the Metro-Dade police show up on scene. They view the items. They take a look around in the trailer, and now they're waiting for Juan Carlos Chavez to return to this property. And he does so a little after 7 p.m. on the evening of December 6th where he is quickly surrounded and arrested without incident. He's patted down. They read him his Miranda rights. And now it's time to take this man in for interrogation. I wonder if he had at some point realized that he's been duped and they were going through his belongings. So who is this man? Well, 28-year-old Chavez first arrived in the United States in 1991 This after a raft ride from Cuba to South Florida with two other individuals. He had previously served time in Cuba after attempting to steal a boat from a military base in 1986. This during a previous attempt to flee the country for which he was caught and sentenced to four years in prison, but only served one year and 11 months. Chavez had served in the Cuban military after he was drafted. He was granted permanent residency in 1993 under the Cuban Adjustment Act, which gave automatic residency to most Cubans after a year in the United States. While a criminal history could prevent residency from being granted, we have a situation where the United States and Cuba had no diplomatic relations, so a criminal check was nearly impossible. According to an immigration and naturalization official, quote, I guess they felt like this was a military related case. So he got his green card, end quote. It is worth noting that once Chavez was identified, the Rice family, I have such respect for Don and Claudine Rice and all of the the Rice family. And it breaks my heart to see what they were forced to go through. But these are smart and understanding people. And I think this just kind of shows who they really are. The Rice family very quickly denounced what they called stupid prejudice. 
requesting that the community ignore Chavez's Cuban roots. As Don Rice said, quote, some people have come to the family to say that they are ashamed of being Cuban and Hispanic. I just want to make clear that evil comes in many ways. There is nothing to apologize for. Our fight is with predators. Yeah, now that they have Chavez in custody, they're going to be able to interrogate him, which I believe the interrogation went for roughly 55 hours. It took place over the course of two days, yeah. And this was some pretty intense stuff. It was so lengthy, due in part to the different stories that Chavez is going to provide law enforcement to try to explain away why he is in possession of the book bag of a missing nine-year-old child. Right. So his first story is that he simply found the book bag, and he found it in a field, and he brought it back to his trailer, and he's had it ever since. I don't know what date he claims to have found it or why he decided to bring a child's book bag back to his trailer. That's not important because as quickly as police explained to him, look, we're not buying that story. Uh, could you try to prove to us that that is in fact, how you came to be in possession of this book bag. He quickly moves on to another story. All right. So now we're interrogating and I don't know how many hours have gone by yet captain, but now we have a different story and we see this time and time again, he may have provided detectives with 10 stories, a dozen stories, maybe dozens of stories, but we see this time and time again with certain types of offenders where it starts off as, oh, you got me in cuffs and you're asking me the hard questions. Starts off as, I had nothing to do with this, to then a completely different story hours later of, yeah, I'm involved, but I'm still kind of innocent, and let me tell you why. So one of the stories he comes up with is that when he was out working and driving for work on September 11. After 3 p.m., he's returning back to his place of work when he accidentally struck and hit a boy with his vehicle, crushing the boy between the vehicle he's driving and a guardrail. And he didn't think that anybody would believe him about what had happened, that this was simply an accident. So he decided to conceal the body of this boy that he hit on the side of the road. Well, there's some problems with that story, Mr. Chavez. First of all, there's no damage to the vehicle that you were driving, and there's no damage to any guardrail or fence that we can find. Even though we have him take us to the scene of this quote-unquote accident, we can't find any evidence of there being any kind of vehicle accident at all. That's my favorite in the cases is where they know the person's lying and they still have to do their due diligence and go out. Like here, Chavez, oh, yeah, you say there was a wreck. Let's go out to the scene. Nope. There's no evidence of the wreck or probably my favorite one that we've ever covered is when Casey Anthony took detectives to her work and uh, they go all the way there and I'll go down a couple hallways and do a couple of things. And then she turns around and goes, I don't work here. Right. That's right. Yeah. Turns around and says, I don't work here. I lied. Yeah. And that's where, you know, sometimes we have situations. I don't want to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that CSI is real and these TV shows are real and that's the way that things work. We know better than that. They're not real. We know better than that here in the garage and the people that tune in know better than that as well. But 
This is where I have to believe the entertainment is mirroring reality. When you see the annoyed detective that just looks at the guy after they prove to him that, okay, your first story didn't work. Your fifth story didn't work. This last one that we had to come out here to location to make sure that you didn't get in a vehicle accident didn't work. You know where you see the annoyed detective who goes, all right, care to try this again, Mr. Chavez? Yeah, but here's where I think Chavez's brain was, right? I I found the book bag. Then when he says, I found the book bag, I think he started figuring out, well, they probably know my route that I take for work. And so once he started assuming that law enforcement went, ah, they, they probably know certain things about my schedule already based on possibly they talked to my employers. And I think that's why he ended up changing his story initially to go, oh, well, yeah, I was, I happened to be on my, my route for work and I came across this kid. And that is partial truth. Over the course of this interrogation and after having been repeatedly advised of his Miranda rights and then waiving them, this is when Chavez finally provided, well, the real version after providing several versions of his involvement in Jimmy's disappearance. We only get to the truth after the physical evidence resulting from their investigation that they've had so far and anything that they've discussed with Chavez totally discredited each version of events that Juan Carlos gave to the investigators to which he finally agreed to tell the truth. However, Chavez explained that before he would disclose the location of Jimmy's remains, he wanted the officers to guarantee that he would in fact receive the death penalty for his involvement in this case. Now the detectives told this man, look, we can't guarantee you. That's not the kind of thing we can make happen uh, from our position. But given the nature of the crime and what they suspected he was about to tell them, they didn't think that it was going to be difficult for this man to receive the death penalty. Yeah. Hold on a second. So normally what happens, and I'm going to, I'm guessing it's normally because that's normally when we cover a case, that's what happens is you have a situation where somebody wants to confess, but what they want to take off the table is yes. the death penalty. Yes. This uh, rectum socket, he's like, hey, I will tell you what happened, but you got to keep the death penalty on the table. He wants to guarantee that the death penalty will be imposed in his case. Exactly right. Yeah, so he's like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you what happened, but now you need to charge me and you need to go after the death penalty. He also, Very interesting. He also wanted to make it clear to detectives that the events that took place would not have happened had he not been sexually battered by a relative in Cuba. So he goes on to tell these detectives after a quick break. He walks into the room after using the restroom and says, what do you want to know? I'll tell you what happened to Jimmy Rice. And he proceeded to admit that he abducted Jimmy at gunpoint, traveled back to the horse ranch with him where he sexually assaulted Jimmy before finally shooting him. Now, this is when detectives say, okay, you know, great, thank you for telling us the truth, 
but we're going to need the details. Mm-hmm. We're going to need the details, and we need to find the boy's remains. They probably said, look, we need the deets. Well, Chavez said that when he was out working, driving around, that he observed some young children playing in water. This on his way home from Home Depot at approximately 3 p.m. on September 11. He said some of the boys were wearing just their underwear, and as he saw the young boys wearing just the underwear, they're getting wet, he took an interest in them. After observing the children, he said that he drove off, and a short while later, he was still picturing the children, and he decided that at some point he wanted to abduct a child. So while this is occurring... He's driving, and he says that he sees another young boy. He sees a boy by himself. This later turns out to be Jimmy Rice. Right. At this point, he's feeling something sexual, and he wants to that he wants to take this young boy that he sees. And he says that he used the gun, the stolen gun that he has. This is a thirty-eight caliber gun, and he pulls up, and he blocks Jimmy Rice's path with the vehicle. Steps out and points the gun at the boy and says, do you want to die? He grabs the kid by the shirt, pulls him into the vehicle, tells him to get down on like the, um, the floorboard area of the, right. the vehicle so that he wouldn't be seen by other passengers. And he drives him back to his trailer or the trailer that he's staying in at the time. And this is where the rape takes place. Now, this is horrific. I don't know and don't care to go into the details of what happens at the trailer at this point. But one thing that I strongly question is how much he was willing to admit to because approximately four hours takes place between him getting to the trailer and the time that he decides to leave the trailer. Now I want everybody out there to, I want to be very clear about this. The, the following story is Juan Carlos Chavez's story, as he claims it to be. And we will go through this a little more here in a minute, but I'm going to start tell it from start to finish. But I want to be clear. I don't believe 100% this is exactly what took place and what happened. He says that about four hours after bringing the boy to the trailer, that he decided to let Jimmy go. He was going to return him to either near his home or the location where he abducted the boy. Well, initially he also does say, you know, that his objective initially was to just abduct and to molest a child. He says that as he approached the area that he was going to drop the boy off, there was a strong police presence there and this caused him to panic. It spooked him and he didn't know what to do. So he decided to return with the boy to the trailer. Once back at the trailer, they're there for, I don't know how long. I mean, we're getting into the nighttime hours now. There's a lot of police out looking for Jimmy at this time. And there are helicopters um, that they are using. And I don't know if it was a helicopter specific to the search for Jimmy Rice or if it just happened to be a helicopter that flew over the area, flew over top of the trailer where Jimmy and this man are. But... He gets up again. He's kind of paranoid by this point. According to his own words, he's looking out the window to see what's going on. And he says, that's when Jimmy made a run for the door. 
And so Chavez reacts. He's got a gun. Shoot he him. shoots the boy, shooting him in the back, yeah. claiming that he held on to the boy to, I guess, comfort him as he lie there dying. Well, and you see this a lot of times with criminals where right when they commit the crime, they become hyper paranoid. Yeah, we saw that. And we actually had the words of Dennis Rader and several other killers that we've talked about here in the garage where, you know, Dennis Rader said that as soon as he committed the murders, he fully expected police to arrive at his doorstep within minutes or hours of committing that crime. And I believe we had the same thing happen with Ed Kemper when he killed his grandparents. And when, when nobody showed up, Ed Kemper just called it in. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's that immediate paranoia that sets in according to these types that, hey, everybody knows what I just did all of a sudden. And they magically know. Yeah, and not all killers, but just it seems to be and a percentage of them where crime happens and then hyper-paranoia. Some of them don't get scared at all, which is completely bizarre. But then he goes on to say that he needed a place to hide the body. So he's out driving around looking for either a location or something to help him conceal the body of this boy and which he found a a barrel, one of those large metal drums. He loaded it into the vehicle. I believe this was a van or a truck. I'm sorry, a van returns to the trailer, places the boy's body in that barrel for the meantime. And he decides later that he's going to need to bury the remains to which he ends up using, attempting to use a backhoe on one of the properties that he's working. He can't get the backhoe to work properly. It's malfunctioning for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So he decides that he's going to have to dismember the boy and he buries, um, I'm going to use air quotes there, buries the remains in cement in several large planters. He was hoping that the cement and the planters, of course, would make it so that the remains were never to be detected. You fast forward to early December where the shine houses make their way into his trailer and find these things, this damning evidence that is going to lead police directly to the killer of Jimmy Rice. And that's one of those weird things that, you know, there's a lot of weird things in any of these cases. And in this case, there are those weird things, but Here's a case, Captain, where nearly three months later, this guy, this monster, for whatever reason, decided, made a conscious decision to hold on to this book bag. Yeah. Had this book bag never been found. He's working on long division. I wonder if we would have ever known what really happened here to Jimmy Rice. Probably not. Because there was nothing connecting Juan Carlos Chavez to him other than that book bag. This was... In every sense of the phrase, a stranger abduction, according to Juan Carlos Chavez. Now, I want to point out some things that I call into question in regards to Mr. Chavez's story. I like how he is constantly minimizing his culpability in this case, right? He presents his story and he presents himself as an impulsive human being who made a mistake versus a monster, a child predator. And that's 
really what he is at the end of the day. And a piece of shit. The statement of he was going to return Jimmy, but, oh, I panicked. I, I, I got scared. I didn't know what to do when I saw the police in that area. He claimed that he only had to kill him because the boy tried to escape. He said that he had to dismember the boy because the backhoe wouldn't work and he was unable to bury the boy. You ever heard of a shovel? The other thing, too, he says he only was going to molest the boy or had or he was molested and that's why he wanted to abduct and rape a boy. Again, taking minimizing his own culpability in any of this situations. There's there's always a reason that led him to do the next despicable, disgusting act that he that he decided to do himself. And the other thing too that we have to keep in mind, according to law enforcement and the courts, these items were reported stolen many times, several times. In August and September What was the purpose for him stealing that gun in the first place? Why did he happen to have that gun with him in the vehicle on the day that he's working when he just so happened to stumble across a Jimmy Rice walking alone by himself after he just happened to see some boys playing in the water together, barely wearing any clothing? Right. I start to see a situation where this man decided he needed a gun for some reason at some point, and he decided to steal one. Mm-hmm. I see a situation where I think this guy could have been driving around looking for a boy, and he could have been looking for a boy for weeks or months, and it wasn't until he got that gun that he thought that he was going to get what he was after. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off 
IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Hope everybody's having a good week. 
Cheers to you, Captain. Now, sadly, the Jimmy Rice story did not end the way that anybody wanted it to end. The, I mean, just to add to the sadness and add to, add to the devastation here, the trailer and the property where the remains were recovered of this boy right. were less than two miles away from his home. And all this time, those answers were much closer than they thought. All those search efforts never led them to Jimmy Rice. Yeah, but sometimes I think the world, the universe, the powers that be, try to make things right. Boy goes missing. We don't know what happens. These items went missing before the boy went missing. But once she then seeks out some confirmation about her beliefs. A psychic tells her, hey, I have, I have this energy saying that there's items and you'll find them in this trailer. And like you said, she finds this gun. She finds the book bag. I think, one, it wasn't a mistake that he just left the book bag in there. That was kind of some souvenir. But also, like you said, I would lean to the idea that he might have been tracking these individuals and tracking these kids because they get dropped off on a main route that that's the main route you would drive. You mm -hmm. wouldn't be driving through these neighborhoods to and from home Depot. You take main streets, but if you're on the prowl looking for children, well, follow a couple buses, see who they drop off. Right. So I'm with you where I think this was something that he thought about maybe fantasize about, maybe even try to, look, I'll try to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he even try to suppress these fantasies. But then, like like you were saying, I think this is was premeditated. Maybe he even pulled up in front of a kid once or twice before and chickened out at the last minute. Yeah, you see that all the time. So I think really what we see here is what we've seen so many times before, where he's just trying to minimize his, yes, I did this, but I, I did I did A because of this happening. I did B because that happened, and so on and so forth, and it just continues on and on and on. Well, yeah, I think that's maybe where we disagree because he wants the death penalty to be on the table. He wants to be sentenced to death. So that's kind of odd motivation. That's a kind of an odd motive to... Um, to change your story, to minimize your story. You think, if anything, you'd want to appear more of a monster so mm -hmm. you can guarantee that you get that death penalty. He could have waived his appeals. He didn't bother to do that, though. He appealed this thing like crazy. And that's the thing. Look, I when you have somebody, when you're talking about a, a child predator and um, a child killer, I mean, the worst of, a, of the worst, and you and I, we we just will not have the ability to crawl inside the minds of these people. And we, I mean, I've seen Honey, can, I Shrunk the Kids, but. What's that? I said, I've seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but I don't know if they can make me small enough to, to get inside there. But when we look at these things, it's it's very fair for us to look at his words, his statements and his actions and question every single one of them. Did he say something dumb? Like, Hey, 
I want to make sure that you put me to death. Did he want to throw that out there just so, hey, when we get to court, I'm gonna, I want everybody to know that only, only a person outside of his mind would be saying, hey, I want you to put me to death. That right. There's something wrong with me, clearly. So, you know, we should question everything that this type of person would do because he's shown us what he is capable of. Now, the aftermath of this thing, Captain, as we said, Jimmy really became the child of a community. And there were 600 people, nearly 600 people that gathered to honor this boy who died too soon at his funeral. Reverend Leonard Brusso, who led the service at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, said during the course of his sermon, because Jimmy Rice was with us, his contemporaries, his classmates and teammates and children he never knew, all are becoming safer from predators and pedophiles who would prey on them. Because Jimmy Rice was with us, awareness of the perils that stalk our streets and playgrounds and schools and sanctuaries, places we had hoped were safe, is being raised up to a new and higher level. One, and it's really good, one, this community, but also his family, his mom and dad, to say, hey, look, there's this tragedy, this tragic thing that happened to our family, but we're going to make sure that Jimmy Rice's name is, is uh, synonymous with good in this world. Yeah, and when people have a free moment, I would encourage everyone to go to jimmyrice.org, and Rice is R-Y-C-E dot org, and you can see the Jimmy Rice Center that was set up by his parents and the community. And this, they really do so many things there that it's difficult for us in our limited time to explain everything that they do. But even after their son's body was discovered, after the funeral, his parents, Claudine and Don Rice, worked to improve the national system of tracking missing children by using both the internet and greater cooperation among law enforcement agencies. Claudine Rice said, quote, publicity caught the man. So she dedicated herself to generating more publicity and public cooperation in missing child cases. By the time of Jimmy's funeral, a petition that would make it easier for law enforcement agencies across the country to coordinate search efforts had already amassed over 300,000 signatures. Florida's U.S. delegation filed the Jimmy Rice ASAP Child Assistance Act to make it easier to post photos of missing children in federal and state buildings. This brings us, Captain, to 2014. At 8.02 p.m. on Wednesday, February 12, 2014, Juan Carlos Chavez lie on a gurney in a brightly lit room with leather straps around his wrists and ankles and IVs for the lethal injection inserted into his arms. He did not give us a last statement, so to speak. It actually came in the form of a... Chavez's last statement came in the form of a rambling handwritten note composed hours before his execution in the note. He didn't apologize to the Rices, nor did he claim he was innocent of the crime for which he would be executed. Instead, he wrote of his faith and his wish that Christ's love reach those who in their pain desire my death. No word or man will rob me of my peace today. 
He was executed on that day. His last meal consisted of a ribeye steak, french fries, a fruit cup, strawberry ice cream, and mango juice. It just always drives me nuts when they when they eat something or some, something strange like mango juice. I like mango juice. Right when I hear that this son of a bitch drank some mango juice, I, I never want to drink mango juice again. I don't want to be anywhere close to the to an animal like this. At 8.17 p.m., Chavez was declared dead. Around two dozen reporters gathered in front of the Florida State Prison in preparation for the execution. Sadly, Jimmy's mother, Claudine, and his half-sister had already passed away by this point, but Jimmy's father and half-brother were both in attendance. None of the 19 witnesses showed any emotion during the execution, Though pain was apparent on Don, though pain was apparent in Don Rice's eyes, immediately after this execution, Captain Don Rice gives a statement that's videotaped, recorded, and it's you can find it still to this day, and I believe you can find it at JimmyRice.org as well. It's also on YouTube. Don Rice is addressing pedophiles who might abduct children. Yeah, and he says. Do not kill the child. Do not kill the child. Because if you kill the child, people will not forget. People will not forgive. We will hunt you down and we will put you to death. That being a warning to anybody that would abduct the child, letting them know, you still have a chance to return this kid, to drop them off somewhere, to to get them out of your possession. You always have that opportunity until you don't. Don't kill the child. This is what happens. And he goes on to say that if there was ever a person, ever a man that deserved to be put to death, it was Chavez who killed his son. Now, Don Rice passed away last year, and he did so much great work before his passing. His wife did so much great work before hers. And their son, Jimmy's half-brother, continues to do that great work today. Again, we have the Jimmy Rice Center who does, they do so many different things. Plus, there was the 1998 Jimmy Rice Act. This was something that was put into our system to create and change the system so that sexually violent predators can remain in state custody long after finishing their prison sentences so that they would be evaluated and they it would be determined if they were ready for release or not. It's a way to keep them housed in a facility that might not be an actual state prison or be monitored once they are out. I want to bring up here, Captain, a quote from Colleen Nick. Colleen Nick is the mother of Morgan Nick, a girl who disappeared and has never been found or located since her disappearance, a case that we have covered here in the garage. And the quote is, I remember standing in the middle of the chaos, thinking, I wish I had a book to tell me what to do. Child abductions are rare. Stranger child abductions are even more rare. Very few people, very few law enforcement agencies actually know what to do in the proper order to do them when this does occur, because they are rare. Don Rice said that, unfortunately, when they started their investigation, he wanted to see them start their investigation. 
but they appeared to be starting from scratch because they had never investigated a child stranger abduction. Law enforcement, the Department of Justice, with the help of several family members and parents of missing and abducted children, got together and they created a book called When Your Child is Missing, A Family Survival Guide. And this is a pretty substantial book with a lot of great information in it and a lot of great resources. There's even a to-do list for you for the first 24 hours, the first 48 hours, things that you should be doing to help find and locate your child. Now, God forbid that any of us ever need it. I'm just simply pointing out that it is there. It is available for free for anybody that wants it. You can find it by simply Googling that title, When Your Child is Missing a Family Survival Guide. And again, if anybody wants to find out more about the Jimmy Rice Center, the website is jimmyrice.org. Obviously, one of many things that they want to do is increase public awareness of sexual predators. They want to help bring kids home like so many other organizations do. There's a bevy of resources there available on their website. There's also ways for you to get involved and ways that you can help others. Now, one thing that the Jimmy Rice Center does is that they provide AKC bloodhounds free to law enforcement to help find abducted and lost persons and children. And according to their website, they say a bloodhound has 60 times the scent power of a German shepherd and is the only dog that can follow a human trail more than a few hours old. A bloodhound is your single best bet for bringing a child abducted by a predator home alive. At the Jimmy Rice Center, we believe that Jimmy would be alive today if a bloodhound had immediately been brought into the search for our son. I am happy to announce and say here and thankful to everybody who have donated this week and in previous weeks to our beer fund. And we've said in the past that we have what we call spillover money. The captain and I call it spillover money. And we've used some of that spillover money to go to a lot of great different that help law enforcement and help victims of crimes. And one thing we were able to do this week in honor of Jimmy Rice and the Jimmy Rice Center was to make a donation to the Jimmy Rice Center. They say that it takes about $1,000 for the center to provide these AKC bloodhounds to a law enforcement agency. And because of all of you out there, we were able to make a donation of $1,000 to the Jimmy Rice Center. And before we wrap up today, we'd like to leave you with the words of Don Rice, a short clip from his statement given to the media after his son's killer, was put to death. Don't kill the child. Don't kill the child, because if you do, people will not forget. They will not forgive. We will hunt you down, and we will put you to death. I want to thank everybody so much for joining us here in the garage. 
We'd be nothing without you. We are nothing. We're we are nothing with you, so without you would be extra nothing. Less than nothing. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for this week? Uh, yes, we do, Captain. This week we are recommending The Cases That Haunt Us by the great John Douglas and Mark Allshaker. Look, call them what you want, but don't call them open and shut cases. Did Lizzie Borden murder her own father and stepmother? Was Jack the Ripper actually the Duke of Clarence? Who killed John Benet Ramsey? And so on and so on. It goes on and on and on. Check out this book because it's by the great John Douglas and Mark Allshaker who explore those great cases as well as several others. And you can find that recommendation along with several others at truecrimegarage.com on our recommended page. And if you're looking for more True Crime Garage, check us out on the Stitcher app. We have a premium show called Off the Record. It comes out every other week. If you don't know, you need to know. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.